All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to continue uh, kind of going through a series basically covering the basics on certain doctrines that we believe. From Hebrews chapter 6, it mentions, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the doctrine of baptisms and i think matthew chapter 3 is a great place to start which is, which is the first place we see the word baptize use it's the first place it's mentioned it's mentioned quite a bit and sadly when it comes to the subject of baptism there is a lot of false doctrine that comes with it and we don't have time this morning to address every heresy associated with baptism debunk all the false teaching but i do want to mainly address what we believe about baptism and we will reference false beliefs, but I will not, we're not going to be able to take time to debunk all of those things. There's a lot to this subject, and we do want to just uh, reinforce what we believe here at Liberty Baptist Church about baptism. And so we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he which was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And now, unfortunately, because John preached so hard against the self-righteous Pharisees, everyone who sees the uh, you know, preaching repentance, or uh, the, they see the preaching of repentance as like this message of condemnation. In fact, uh, street preaching. I was just having a conversation this week about street preachers. I am not a, opposed to street preaching because I am not opposed to really any kind of preaching. However, the street preaching method, the street preaching culture, I am very much against because of the fact that it is kind of pointless and there's a lot of goofiness associated with it. And typically, you see that street preacher out there, you know, a lot of time, half the time they look like a homeless guy, you know, preaching repentance, like repent, repent, just screaming at everybody about their sins and stuff. They think they're acting like John the Baptist. They are usually very hostile. I heard of one, uh, one story was told me about that where there was a guy who saw a group of people protesting an abortion clinic. And he was working, uh, and he was in a work truck, and so he pulled up into that parking lot and they just like immediately started screaming at him. And he was like coming over to support him. You know, and they were just like immediately just condemning. And then, you know, they, he finally convinced them that he was a Christian. And then they kind of calmed down. But these people are crazy. And usually when you see the person out there, repent, repent, they're out there calling people names, calling women whores, and just being crazy. But here's the thing if we would let the Bible. You know, if we would try to actually copy what they do in the Bible, it would change a lot. Now, again, I don't know if people got this idea because they remember seeing Charlton Heston on The Greatest Story Ever Told, you know, preaching, hard repentance, yelling people and stuff. I don't know if that's where they got that from. But how did John preach repentance? Because notice it says, too, it refers to, uh, how he was a fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah that says the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And, we, and just let's be honest. When you think of a voice crying in the wilderness, you think of a maniac screaming repent to people. Right? You got that from the same place the street preachers got it from. But let's see what that actually looked like. Let's go back to the passage that 
the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to refer to because this was a fulfillment of it. In Isaiah 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in a desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Notice when the, uh, what Isaiah prophesied of the preaching of John, we see the command was to comfort the people, to speak comfortably to God's people. And you, let me tell you something. The true doctrine of repentance like we talked about last week, the true preaching of repentance from John the Baptist is a preaching of comfort. It's speaking comfortably. It's called good news. It's called the gospel. And John was preaching the good news or the gospel. The gospel is not a message of condemnation. You're condemned already. Everyone's condemned already without the gospel. They're under the condemnation of God because of their sin. The gospel is good news. It's comfort. That yes, you are a sinner, but a sacrifice for your sins has come. In John's day, it was the sacrifice for sins is coming. It's on its way. Our message today is the sacrifice for sins has come. Yes, you are a dirty, filthy, stinking, rotten sinner, but the blood of Christ can cleanse all that sin. I'm speaking good news. I'm speaking comfort to you. In spite of all your sins, if you will repent and believe the gospel, you can be saved. This is not... The, the, the message of repentance that John preached was one of comfort where he's speaking comfortably. So yeah, he was kind of mean to the Pharisees. Yes, because they were opposing the message. We don't speak comfortably to false prophets. We don't speak comfortably to people who are lying about the gospel and adding works to salvation and saying within themselves, we have Abraham, our father, preaching a flesh and blood type salvation when they're actually of corruptible seed and they need to be born again of incorruptible by the word of God. So, of course, we speak like maniacs when we're talking to false prophets. But when we're speaking to the common man, people out there looking for salvation, we're speaking comfortably to those people. And you know what we're preaching? We're preaching repentance like John did. And we're not acting like maniacs. And this is why street preaching, the, the street preaching culture. Again, there might be some parts of the world and some cultures where you can get out in public places and people might gather and you can preach and that might be an effective way. In the American culture, it is not effective at all. And the way these people act, acting like maniacs, not effective. Not effective. It does not resemble John the Baptist. Not at all. It's the, the message, the repentance that John preached was speaking comfortably to the people. And you say, how is that comfortable? Because again, your sins are forgiven. Your sins have been cleansed. It's good news. Believe the gospel. So I know I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. We already talked about repentance, but you know, I just, I can't help but try to make sure we get the right picture of John the Baptist in our head as we talk about this. Because people have, because of Hollywood, because of nut job street preachers, people have the wrong idea of what was going on. So uh, I will always act like a maniac and foam with the mouth when talking to false prophets. But when we're talking to normal people preaching repentance, we're not going to act that way. We're, we're speaking comfortably. 
to them. You're right in doing that. So verse 4. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized in him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And this is exactly what happens when we get saved today. We teach you first, you must realize that you're a sinner, and then you get baptized after you've believed on Christ. And so he's about to face off, though, with some people who didn't think they were sinners. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, okay, and John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Ghost, they're not coming to learn. They're coming to criticize. They're coming to condemn. They're coming to find fault because they're hearing about all these people coming to John the Baptist and they feel threatened by that. So they're coming to check to see what's going on so they can condemn it. And so John the Baptist, he doesn't mess around. He just calls them out. And he says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers. And I love how he called them a generation of vipers because they thought we're a generation of Abraham's seed. No, you're not. You're a generation of vipers. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You're under the wrath of God. And let me tell you, that generation of vipers will always be under the wrath of God. They were under the wrath of God. They are under the wrath of God. And they are under God's wrath to the uttermost. And so, he did not speak comfortably to them. And, and, and as he it should not have. So he said, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And I believe this was him calling for them to confess their sins and get baptized. And why is that? Because if confession and baptism are fruits meet for repentance, then what would we, then what would be fruit not meet for repentance? Well, the next verse shows us. He says, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So fruits not meet for repentance is you saying, hey, we're good. We're in the covenant because we're the children of Abraham. No, you are born of corruptible seed and you're going to die in your sins. You need to be born again of incorruptible seed. You need to get on on the on this new covenant. You need to believe. You need to be baptized. And you need to forsake those dead works that you're trusting in. And you need to believe in the message of the coming Messiah that I'm preaching you right now, that I am preparing the way for Him. He is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm preaching, and he, that one that's coming, I'm not worthy to loose his shoe latchet, and you need to trust him, and you need to be baptized to publicly profess that you are, uh, preparing, that you've prepared yourself, that you are going to receive this Messiah that's going to come shortly. That's what they're doing right here. And so verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, what we are seeing here is an example of baptisms, because we're talking about the doctrine of baptisms, which is what Hebrews 6 mentions. And some claim there's only one kind of baptism. There are some Baptist writers out there that will say there's only one baptism. There's only one baptism, and they'll go to Ephesians 4.3 where it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So it's like, well, wait a minute. Is there only one baptism or are there baptisms? 
Hebrews refer to the doctrine of baptisms. And then that's where the dispensations, well, you know, in the John's dispensation, they weren't in the New Covenant dispensation yet, and so they had baptisms then. And, you know, but now we only have one baptism. <laughs> Stop, okay? Right, stop. It's it's amazing how. Listen, our Bible does not contradict itself. This is just showing in Ephesians four the unity that comes from the Spirit. There is only one body that we are all baptized into, and it is it is to one Lord. It is to one faith. So, in other words, there's only one legitimate baptism, just like there's only one legitimate gospel. But this does not mean the word baptism cannot be used in other ways. We all understand that? There's a lot of ways this word baptism is used, and we're not even going to look at all, all of them today. Uh, but what, So what, uh, what he's doing here, or the one that, so the kind of baptism John's doing, this is a water baptism. John said, I baptize you with water, but one coming after me, he will baptize you, not with water, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And by the way, being baptized with fire is not a good thing. Okay? All right, the Pentecostals, they've got this idea. You know, we need, we need that Holy Ghost baptism with fire. It's like, well, the fire came down in the service today. And you listen, even Baptists will talk about that. Oh, man, the fire fell in that service last night. Oh, man, the glory showed up. And what do they mean by when the fire fell? Well, obviously, too, it's kind of a reference to Elijah when he called the fire down. That was probably pretty exciting. But then they'll act like this is a Holy Ghost thing. You had the cloven tongues of fire. And so they're, they're kind of conflate a bunch of stuff. But the baptism of fire is not a good thing. Uh, but the word baptism is used in many different ways. Let me show you just a, one example. Matthew twenty twenty two says, But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall indeed uh, drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and my left, it is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared to my Father. Wait, I thought Jesus was already baptized. I thought his disciples were already baptized. And so baptized too, it means, it means like an immersion. It means a covering. And, these, and Jesus is referring to the sufferings and things that he is going to go through. And you know what? Those guys did go through those sufferings too. They suffered greatly. They, their lives were covered with that. They were filled with that. So that word baptism, it can be used in a lot of different ways. And so even with Jesus' baptism, we see he has two different ones. He baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And you don't want the fire baptism. Okay? It says in verse 12, whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let me tell you something. Everybody's going to get baptized. You're either going to get the Holy Ghost baptism or you're going to get the fire baptism. That fire baptism, it lasts a lot longer than the water baptism. Fortunately, the water baptism is really short or you drowned. Okay? But the Holy Ghost baptism, the baptism that Jesus does is permanent. The Holy Ghost baptism, permanent. The fire baptism, permanent. And you don't want the fire baptism. So, uh, that, but that's what, that's what he's basically saying here because this one who is coming, this Messiah who's coming, he was the one who was going to cleanse every one of their sins. He was also the one who was going to judge the world. Okay? It's going to be Jesus that judges the world.
So that's what he's basically prophesying, showing them just who this is that's coming. This is going to this is the judge of the world. This is God who's coming. And so we all we all want the Holy Ghost baptism. We don't want the fire baptism. So it says, uh, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized. And you know, let me say this too before, before I forget. The baptism that we have, you know, the um, in water, it is a picture of what Jesus did. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again. It's a picture of that. Jesus took our judgment on the cross, didn't he? And so understand, baptism it is, it's kind of a picture of judgment. So do we want the Jesus baptism, where he took our judgment for us, or do we want the baptism of fire, which is also judgment too? So understand, that's what baptism is, it's kind of like a picture of judgment. And so we get baptized in water to identify ourselves with Jesus, who took our judgment for us. Everyone else, they're going to get the baptism of fire. That's the judgment that they're going to get. And so, boy, you definitely want to believe on Christ. But verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized in him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so we watch Jesus get baptized here. And if I may just kind of cover this too, you know, John the Baptist, he was somebody who had a special anointing of God. Understand, the, us having the Holy Spirit, I preached about this a while back, God giving us the Holy Spirit, it was something very specific. It was a, it's a special sanctifying, it's a cleansing, it's a sealing, it's what enables us to be able to worship God without the things of the temple, without the, all those ordinances. There's so many things that the Holy Ghost does for us. And people sometimes get confused about John the Baptist because he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. So did John the Baptist ever need to get saved? Well, of course he needed to get saved. Just because he had a special anointing on him from the Holy Ghost that was unique. Like Samson had a special anointing on him from the Holy Spirit of God. And he had great strength. This was something very special about John. But John, without a doubt, had to get saved because John, without a doubt, was a sinner. I mean, what did he say to Jesus? He said, I need to be baptized of thee. John understood that he was sinful. John understood that he needed a Savior. John understood that he was lesser than Jesus Christ, that he wasn't even worthy. Why would he not be worthy to loose the shoe latchet from his foot? Because he was a sinner as well. But John the Baptist understood who Jesus was. John believed on Christ. So understand, John had to get saved too. The Bible doesn't record his salvation. But you know, don't let people confuse you uh, with, with some of those things. They don't understand even the Holy Ghost and what, what came, uh, why we have the Holy Ghost and what, what it means. But what are some things that we can learn about baptism from this chapter? Because these are the beliefs, the beliefs of this church and they're not up for nego- uh, negotiation. And if we ever do change our beliefs on baptism, I believe if we are decent, because again, the Bible's the final authority. But if we change our beliefs on baptism, I believe we should drop the name Baptist. Because Baptists historically have taken certain stands on baptism. It is our heritage. It is, and if we are going to call ourselves Baptists and change on these things, 
we, we need to have the decency to just not call ourselves Baptists anymore. So the first thing we see, though, about baptism, we can learn from this passage, is that every believer and only believers should be baptized. We see in verse 14... It says, but John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Jesus was setting an example here. Okay, Jesus obviously had no sins of his own, but Jesus wanted to do this because he is setting an example for us to fulfill all righteousness. Meaning, this is the right thing to do. This is something that should be done. And so he told John, please baptize me. This needs to be done. Every believer ought to be baptized. And baptism is just that. It's baptism, meaning it is by immersion. That, that is also something Baptists have stood for that. Baptists have died for that historically. Baptism should be by immersion. We will never sprinkle anybody. In this church, we only baptize by immersion. John 3.23 and John uh, also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. And listen, we're sprinkling. We don't need much water. But you do need a lot of water if, you, if you're going to baptize a bunch of people and, and do it by immersion. Have them come down the water and do that. You're going to need a lot of water. Acts 8.35 Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Hey, does anybody think this eunuch was traveling through the desert with no water on him? There's no way he's traveling through the desert with no water on him. Of course he would have had water on him. And if sprinkling works... You know, Philip could have went and done a little blessing on it and turned it into holy water and then, you know, in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, splash him a little bit and he's all good to go. But no, that wasn't what he talked about. That wasn't what he preached to him when he preached Jesus to him. And he wanted to be baptized when he sees a body of water. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You know why? Because baptism is only for believers. Only for believers. Those who have believed on Christ, who believe with all their heart. This is another reason too, we do not baptize babies. Babies aren't capable of believing with all their heart. Babies have not made that choice yet. This is something that believers do who have chosen to follow Christ. Babies do not have that choice. So we only baptize believers. There was a requirement. The requirement for baptism is you must believe. And so anybody who comes to our church and wants to be baptized, obviously, you know, the main thing we'd cover is, have you been saved? And you know what we don't do? And, ch- and some churches are figuring this out and learning, but some haven't got with the program yet. But understand, we do. We used to have a very Christian culture where people living in fornication, adultery, and things like that, it was very taboo and they were kind of outsiders in society. Okay? But that is not the case. That is just normal in our country today, but believers should be baptized. There is nowhere in the Bible where they are required to clean up their life first. We do not see that. And if somebody comes to this church and they want to be baptized, all we do to check up is we check up on their profession. What are you trusting in? When did you get saved? How did you get saved? What do you believe? And if, they're, if they have a good testimony of salvation, then we baptize them. You know why? Because when somebody says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? You know what we do? If thou believest. We check to see if they believe. 
And it's pretty sad. There are churches today that will not baptize people who attend their church who they believe they're saved because they don't even check, they can't check all the boxes on their doctrinal statement. That's dumb. Do you believe they're saved? If they're saved, you ought to baptize them. Worry about the doctrinal statement later. Do you think somebody who's never heard the gospel before and never been taught the things of God, we go get them saved, and then we talk, you know, you ought to get, you, we said, do you agree with our doctrinal statement? They're not going to know what to think about any of this stuff. They're probably going to believe whatever we tell them. But then somebody who actually knows their Bible, but maybe they disagree with something on their doctrinal statement that it has nothing to do with salvation, and you're going to tell them you can't baptize them? What are they supposed to do? And there's people that get offended because we will baptize those people. If they come to our church and they're like, our church won't baptize me because I don't agree with their doctrinal statement on end times or something. Can I get baptized here? Uh, you know what I do? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And you know what? Pastors can get mad at me for that, but I would love for them to call me up and express their outrage and then I will express my outrage to them over the fact they won't baptize believers. I will, I will do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, well, we don't baptize them because then they would be in membership of the church and then we would have to immediately throw them out of the church for not agreeing with our doctrinal statement. You know what? Then change your constitution. Okay, change your constitution. In our constitution, it's in there that baptism does not immediately make you a member. Because there might be people who are living in, in fornication or something like that. We still want to baptize them. They want to take that first, they need to take that first step of obedience before they take that second step. And so we don't want to baptize somebody and then bring them before the church and throw them out. No, we're, we're going to, we want to baptize them and we're going to take some time to work with them. You know, we're going to give them some time to get, get their act together, but they immediately need to get baptized. And so, you know, there's, there are multiple things that might hinder you from church membership, but there should only be one thing that hinders somebody from being baptized. And that's, are they a believer? And that's the way we practice it here. And I welcome any pastor to come and let me have it for that. And I will, because I will enjoy letting him have it right back. Because he deserves it and the Bible's on my side. And so, uh, so we learned that every believer and only believer should be baptized. Baptism is just that. Baptism, it's not sprinkling. It's not pouring. It's immersion. Baptism also, we learned, does not save. Okay? This baptism did not save Jesus. Jesus did not need to get saved. Jesus did not need to get sins washed away. Jesus is the one who washes away sins. Baptism does not save. And it's, and it's important people understand that too. And that's another thing too that I'm always very diligent to make sure people understand, especially if they're new to the church. We've had people locally who've come and visited. I don't always know what their background is. And they'll come sometimes and say, hey, I want to get baptized. Sometimes people want to get baptized because they think that's what you have to do to go to heaven. And I've had people that have come here before wanting you know, that, that came saying, I want to get baptized. Now, in their mind, that meant I want to get saved. I want to go to heaven. And I've had to talk to them and explain to them, well, hey, we would love to baptize you, but you have to believe with all your heart. And, and then we, we make sure they understand the gospel. And that, that's an important thing. I make sure people understand baptism does not save, especially when we, when we first started the church. I wanted to make that very clear. Our church, the church building that we had used to be a church of Christ too. And I wanted to make sure people knew, hey, we're not the church of Christ anymore. We're a Baptist church. And every time we would do a baptism, I was always explaining to people, this person has come forward to be baptized. This does not save them. 
These people have already been saved by putting their faith in Christ. This is a step of obedience. This is them publicly identifying themselves with Christ and we support that. We are behind that and that's why they're being baptized. And it's important people understand that because baptism does not save. I don't want to make somebody think they're going to heaven because I baptized them. So I do. I check with anybody that I baptize. I check what they are professing. I make sure they understand this does not save you. In fact, if people join our church, you know, if they want to join our church, because again, there's more requirements for joining a church, but we'll ask about salvation. We will also ask about baptism. And I, and if they've been baptized, if they've never been baptized, I believe they should be baptized in order to be a member of the church. And I will ask them, if you've been baptized, if they say yes, but it was sprinkling, that doesn't count. Well, I got baptized by a Methodist and he did pouring. Doesn't count. I did, you know, or sometimes I will ask them, you know, two, if their baptism, you know, when you got baptized, even if it was by immersion, were you doing it for salvation? And if they were doing it for salvation, then you know what? We're going to go back to salvation and talk about that again. And we're going to get them saved. And then we're going to get them baptized for real. Or if somebody got baptized by immersion and then later they got saved, then you need to get baptized again because that first one didn't count. You just got wet. We get baptized after salvation and baptism absolutely does not save. And if baptized, if baptism saves, why didn't Paul make sure more people got baptized? We see in 1 Corinthians 1.14, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now understand, Paul was not against baptism. But Paul, his main focus, his main work that he did was on preaching the gospel, on doctrine. But that doesn't mean a church doesn't have the responsibility to baptize. And and you know what? I think it's good, you know, to have someone in the church, typically the pastor. This is something I typically do. Other people could share in this ministry if there's, if there's a need and it's an important ministry that we take the time when people get saved, that we follow up with them and try to get them baptized. But at the same time, too, if somebody is like, well, you know, I just mainly want to focus on the evangelism and giving the gospel. That's fine. If we have people in the church that do that. But a church as a whole should never neglect baptism. And so if somebody in the church, that's kind of their focus. That's kind of an area that where they uh, show some extra diligence to on making sure people get baptized. That's great. We need that. That's a, that, 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 that's a blessing. But if somebody is just like, I'm, I just mainly want to focus on the evangelism part, that, that's good too. As long, cause we, there are many diversities of gifts and offices in the church. But a church, a, a church does need to concentrate on that. But Paul, he wasn't the pastor of a church. He was an apostle. He would help get churches started. He would help get them established. He would help them get set up doctrinally so they knew what to do. But, all of those churches, you know, it was important that they be doing baptisms for, for believers. So understand, Paul here, he's not like minimizing baptism and the importance of it. He's just saying that wasn't his focus. So these people who are trying to play some kind of identity game by, based on who baptized them, that's foolish because I wasn't even the one doing that. My main role has not been gathering disciples for myself or anything like that. I'm just trying to get people saved. 
That, that was his thing. So it's important we understand what he's saying there. People try to take his words and add things to him that he never intended. And so God is going to have some people in the church who are more gifted in evangelism, while there's going to be others who might be more gifted in discipling and teaching. And thank God, we need both. We need both. We need pastors, evangelists, teachers. Uh, all, all those things that the Bible names, they're all important. But another thing about baptism too, baptism is a unique thing that identifies us with Christ. Again, and, and again, baby baptizers, they act like baptisms were in the Old Testament. Okay? They, and they do this by going back to Hebrew and stuff. But isn't it interesting that the Holy Ghost never inspired anyone to write that word in the Old Testament? Isn't it, you know, the, and, this, and there are similar words, but it doesn't mean they were the same thing because obviously they had washings and cleansings and they used water in the Old Testament for a lot of things. But these, you know, and these things were ceremonial. But this, clearly what John's doing is a unique thing. There were things that represented baptism in the Old Testament, but it wasn't baptism. There were many things that represented Baptism. We can almost preach a sermon on this. But let me give you just a couple examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all got baptized back then? Yeah. You know, you know when they got baptized? When they walked through the Red Sea. Oh, and by the way, they didn't even get wet when they did that. But that was what was going on. Them passing through that sea like that, that was a picture of them too, being separated from Egypt and being separated to God. It was, it was a picture of that. It was a picture of baptism, which is also a picture of us being separated to God. So that, that, was, that, was, a, that was a figure, that was a picture of baptism there. But it wasn't baptism. Nobody even got wet in that. But in 1 Corinthians 10, it said they were baptized. Another picture of baptism we see in 1 Peter 3.20 says which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So did you know that the Noah and the ark was also a picture of baptism. And they were inside the ark out of the water. So it, these, these things were a picture. It was a light figure. And here he even says about baptism that it's a, it's a picture of it's not legitimately the putting away of the filth of the flesh. I mean, right there, it flat out says it's a figure of that, but it doesn't literally put away the filth of the flesh. You cannot clean up somebody. You cannot cleanse somebody from their sins by baptizing them in water. It is a picture of that, though. It's a picture. It's a figure. Just like the ark was a figure, it was a picture. Just like the children of Israel passing through the Red Sea, it was a picture, it was a figure. All these things are pictures. And, the bapt and baptism is just that. It is a picture. It does not literally wash away your sins. It's a picture of it. People, though, often read their theology into passages. For example, in Mark chapter 1, and verse 4, it says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and a girdle of, 
a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, let me ask you, which baptism do we think John was preaching would wash away sins? His baptism or the one who was coming after him that was better than him? The latch of whose shoes he was not worthy to lose? Which bat, when, when, if you're the people of Israel back then and you're hearing about this and people are being baptized, like, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one coming after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. I'm not even worthy to loose the latchet of his shoe. Which baptism did you think those people would think is going to actually remove our sins? For sure, the Holy Ghost baptism. For sure, the Jesus baptism. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. But yet, when we go to Mark 16, okay, turn over to Mark 16. So in Mark 1, we have John literally distinguish the difference between his baptism and the Jesus baptism. The one that will remove sins. And then we see in Mark 16, 15, And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And people will read that and be like, you have to get baptized in order to be saved. Which baptism? Which baptism? The water baptism or the one who comes from one so much better than John? Obviously, it's the Holy Spirit baptism. It's like, did we, did we forget the lesson that we learned in chapter 1? We, we forget that lesson. Did we forget that important distinction? John made sure everyone understood. I mean, it's, it's amazing what people will do. But it goes on to say in verse 17, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up to heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 1 verse 5 takes us up to, this is this very moment that we just read about in Mark 16. This is the same event. This is the same moment. And Jesus is speaking. And Jesus said, For John truly baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so those, so right there, we, again, we see that distinction. There's a distinction. There are, there's more than one baptism. That's, that's going to take place. And understand too, you say, well, didn't these people already get their Holy Ghost baptism? Again, uh, you know, when they got saved, listen, people got saved at the preaching of Jesus Christ. But that Holy Ghost baptism, that Holy Ghost cleansing, that standing that, that came from the Holy Ghost, that did come later at Pentecost. And now it comes on all believers. Okay? And, and I, uh, if I need to do more teaching on that, I'm, fi- I'm fine with doing that. I don't have time to explain all that. But people got saved before the Holy Ghost baptism. I believe they always had the Holy Ghost, but I believe there is a special anointing that came with the Holy Ghost on Pentecost that came from Jesus Christ Himself. And it's, it's something we all need, even though everyone was saved. There was, or everyone who had believed was saved before that. And I, I don't have time to go into that. But those signs, they were necessary for a time but we have completed scriptures. We don't need to show every time someone gets saved. And that's what a lot of people are trying to get. But baptism is 
a public testimony of Jesus Christ. It's praising and glorifying Him. Luke 7.28, For I say unto you, among those that were born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. Notice that. Them being baptized by John was them justifying God. Why? Because He gets the credit for our salvation. He gets the praise and glory. They weren't going and getting baptized. I'm justified now. Did you see what I just did? No. They were justifying God. They were giving Him the glory for their salvation. That's what a person does when they, when they get baptized. And it says in verse 30, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized. Like, we're not giving the glory to God. We're taking the glory. That's what they did. So understand, baptism, it, it, it is, it's something that points to Jesus Christ. And it's sad that people have literally turned baptism into like a work for salvation. No. Baptism has always been a, a public way of just identifying ourselves with the one who already saved us, with the one who did all the works for salvation, the one who already has taken away our sins. That's what it is. And again, every believer should do that. Every believer ought to do that. But not every believer gives glory to God. Not all the lepers that were cleansed returned to give glory to God. They were all cleansed, but only, only one returned to give glory to God. And thank God, it is a blessing. Every single person, when they get baptized, and, and they, or they get saved, and then they return to give glory to God. That's what they're doing when they get baptized. They are returning to give glory to God. And let me tell you, I, I, I'm thinking about preaching on this pretty soon because I've, I've, I've noticed some things recently that's very interesting that I'm, uh, I'm wanting to get into. But you know what's interesting? Matthew chapter 4, right after he gets baptized, man, we haven't been tempted in the wilderness. Now, I've preached on this many times before. Anytime somebody gets saved and baptized, temptations always come their way. The devil always fights them. And, it, and, you know, and what a sad thing it is, too, because many people, they give into certain temptations and they're never fruitful as, as a result of that. But man, I'm, I'm, I'm plan, I, I've, I've noticed something about that wilderness temptation that is so significant that I, I've never taught on before. Uh, but I, I can't talk about it right now. I've got to finish this message. But it, it's, 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 some, it's, some good, it's some really good stuff that causes us to, and just to get you excited about it too, that is just a reminder of how all things were filled, fulfilled through Christ and not an ethnicity. There's some really good stuff there that people have got to get a hold of and they are absolutely missing out on. And so... Uh, be prepared for that one. I'm not, I'm not quite ready to preach it yet, but it's, it's coming. It's coming. But baptism, last thing, is an ordinance for the local church. Matthew 21, 23 says, And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will ask you one thing, which, is, uh, which if ye tell me, I am likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did he not believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell you by what authority 
I do these things. And understand, to do something that is very religious in nature, it does. It requires authority that people can't just claim for themselves. Even Jesus could not claim authority as the high priest for himself. God gave that to him. God put that on him. And understand, something like baptism, that is, that is a, it is a very ceremonial thing. It is a picture of something very holy. It is not something that just anyone can do. And, and you say, well, who can do it? Well, I think, and we're not going to do a deep dive in this at all, but I do believe we ought to look and, and use scripture as precedent for that. And we do see in Matthew 28, we're not going to take time to read it. You all know this frontward and backward in the Great Commission. He told his disciples, his church, you go preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them. So I can tell you where the apostles got their authority to baptize. They got it directly from Jesus Christ. But I believe also the apostles, they were the ones who started the churches. And they passed that authority on to churches. I believe churches ought to do baptism. A church is the authority behind a baptism. You say, we have a, you know, we see men doing the baptism. Yes, but they get their authority from the church. And so, at, you know, as a pastor, I'm, I'm not just baptizing in my own name, under my own authority. I'm baptizing under the authority of this church. You say, well, who in the church can baptize somebody? Well, really, we could appoint whoever we want to baptize somebody in the church. I don't think we ought to just, bat, you know, appoint anybody, but... At the same time, you know, usually it's the pastor or deacons or somebody like that. But at the same time, too, if we wanted to, I'm actually not real picky about this as long as the church is behind it. But, you know, let's just say Brother Aaron, he was going to go take a uh, missions trip to Shanghai, you know, and there was a bunch of people over there that uh, got saved and wanted to get baptized. We could, we could say, hey, listen, as a church, we're authorizing you when you go over there, too. You can baptize them under the authority of our church. And he could go over there. And he could baptize. Now, that doesn't mean that later he can go out this, you know, after he comes back into town. It's like, you know what? Hey, everybody come out to the public pool. I've been granted authority from Liberty Baptist Church to baptize whoever. You know, obviously, he needs to be following, you know, our church. And he, he's not just able to go do his own thing. I, I believe it's something that's under the authority of a church because it is a very special thing. It is identifying you with Christ. And I believe one of the things that God wants all of his children to do all those who are saved, God wants them to be a part of a church. That is also God's will for those who are saved to be a part of a church. And we get in through baptism. And so uh, hopefully this helps you understand uh, some things about baptism. If you weren't familiar, if you get anything from it, just understand it does not save. Baptism does not save you. A person can go to heaven and never get baptized in water. And you, you, know, you have to be, everybody's got to be baptized by Jesus. Everybody's got to have that. That's the one that will cleanse you of your sins. And we get that by believing on him. And if we ever decide we're going to change our doctrine on baptism, if somebody convinces me sprinkling is okay, don't think it's going to happen. If somebody just convinces me that baptism was for uh, just for the, uh, some people believe this, the hyper dispensationalists, that it was uh, something that was just for a specific dispensation in Acts. And we don't, there are some Hardcore dispensations that do not believe we should baptize people anymore. Let me tell you, if you're going to believe wackiness like that, drop the name Baptist. And I know one preacher that did. He, he, he became so dispensational that he believed that we're not supposed to baptize people anymore. And he at least had the decency to drop the name Baptist. 
And so uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced otherwise, so I don't think we're going to be dropping the name Baptist anytime soon, but hopefully this, this was a help. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for uh, your word. I thank you, Lord, for baptism and what it's a picture of. And I pray, Lord, everybody will have a full understanding of it. Help them to realize the importance of it because it is important to obey you, to identify uh, with you and to, and to follow you. But I pray, Lord, we will uh, never add that to the plan of salvation and that we will uh, focus on the baptism that only you can do. Uh, not the one that we can do. And I pray we'll lead many more people to you. I pray help us be diligent in trying to get people uh, to follow you in baptism as well. In your name we pray. Amen.